Shalom, and welcome to the vidcast from Light of Menorah Ministries that's entitled Hanukkah, The Return of the King. Now, we're in the video that's associated with Candle 2. If you've just joined us, if you are just looking at this video, the first one, we already have two previous videos. Videos. Hanukkah, the return of the king, introduction, and Hanukkah, return of the king, candle one. I really urge you to go back, if you're just coming to this video in this vidcast series, video series, and this is the first one you've watched, please go back and watch the introduction, and then the video on candle one. It's critical. These are in a very critical, important sequence, a historical sequence, actually. And so one video definitely leads into another. And so I would urge you, if you can, kindly to go back and make sure that you watch Hanukkah, Return of the King, Introduction, and Hanukkah, Return of the King, Candle One. Normally what I like to do is we enter into Bible study, which we are doing. I like to do a blessing, a blessing just like they did in Jesus' day. There will be Hebrew. I'll read it slowly so that you can repeat after me, and then we can do the English together. Baruch hata Adonai, Eloheinu melech haholam, Ashir bakar banu, Mikol hahamim. Veina tanlanu etoroto. Veinevuim hatovim. Veina tanlanu etabesora mashiach yeshua. Veina tanlanu etabret chadasha. Baruch ata adonai. No ten. And together in English, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah and the good prophets and given us the good news of Messiah Jesus and given us the new covenant. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the words of truth. Now, so far, we are beginning to see that our Lord is seemingly connecting the events of Hanukkah, the events of the revolt of the Maccabees, back in the, you might say, early 2nd century B.C., and he's using it as, as a means to teach his disciples. Now, we left him in the last video on the Mount of Olives, and the text that we were focusing in on was Matthew 24 and 25, which is called the Mount Olivet Discourse. And in the Mount Olivet Discourse, the disciples are asking Jesus about his return and about the end of the age. So on this video, we're going to return to the Mount of Olives. And we're going to see how Jesus continues to associate the events of the revolt of the Maccabees to something that he wants his disciples to understand. He wants to use those events as a picture so that they would 
clearly see and understand the events of his return. And we're going to see that they get it. <laughs> of course they get it. They understand it, but we don't. We don't because, first of all, we're not Jews. We did not live at that time. Hanukkah, the revolt of the Maccabees, and the success of that revolt was their July 4th back 2,000 years ago. It's not our July 4th. It's not a Christian feast, and it's got nothing to do with Christmas, as we talked about in the first video, in the introduction. And we've been cut off as Christians, cut off in a variety of ways, because, indeed, we're not associated with that ancient culture. Really, our 21st century church does not really emphasize the Bible in its historical context. And this is what we want to do. And when we do, when we try to be like the disciples and try to hear what they heard, try to see what they saw in context, we begin to see that Hanukkah takes on another application for Christians. Becomes a time to also to remember the return of the king. Now, before we start, there's something cool that I'd like to do that is related to our study. In my graduate studies, one of the things that I was able to study was the ancient synagogue. We we're talking about obviously putting the Bible into its historical context, and we're talking about archaeology, history, and geography, customs, and culture, and so on. So the synagogue was huge in terms of me being required to study this. One of the main resources was Dr. Levine's book, a great Jewish scholar, The Ancient Synagogue, the First 1,000 Years. I, I got into that book when I was doing research on the synagogue in Jesus' day and before. It, it was just amazing, the things that I've learned. But one of the, I think, the central aspects that I've learned was from Dr. Levine and other sources, is the synagogue in Israel in Jesus's day was nothing like the synagogue today in 21st century in the United States. Uh, it's nothing like what we would be familiar with as Christians, and that's the church. The first thing is, or the main thing is, is the synagogue itself in a small town, in a village, or in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, was a multi-use building. And you're looking at a picture of a village in Israel in ancient times. It probably looked probably something very similar like that in Modin, where our story begins. And there in Modin, there would have been a synagogue, and you're looking at a synagogue model that archaeologists, both Jewish Jew, Jewish archaeologists and Christian archaeologists have actually reconstructed in Nazareth village in Nazareth. It's an amazing place. And uh, you can see people walking up to the entrance of the uh, model. And one of the lady that's dressed in red there is, is, is Robin. And with regards to that model, you can also see a drawing of a synagogue that would have been the synagogue in Capernaum. 
this is probably what that synagogue would look like and probably perhaps what the synagogue would have looked like in the village of Modin. So as a multi-use building, first, it would be obviously the building where there would be Sabbath services. And you can take a look at the overview here, the above view, aerial view of the synagogue in Capernaum. This one is dated to the fourth century. And as we go inside, here's Robin inside the model of the synagogue at Nazareth Village. And what you can see is there's a bench, probably for the Torah scrolls when they're opened up for the reader uh, who's going to be reading the Torah as part of the Sabbath service. And in the back, off of the right-hand side, you can see the Torah closet, that door where they would have stored the Torah scrolls. So one of the main functions, therefore, of this building, the synagogue, is the Sabbath services. Another one is for Bible study. So men and women, when they had time after work in the evening, uh, maybe once a week, they would come in and they would be able to study, perhaps with a rabbi, or perhaps with a learned, wise person uh, there in their village of the Torah. It was a school. There were two schools, or two sections of the school in each synagogue. One was called Beit Zephyr, okay, the place of the book. This is ages from 5 to 12, and basically they studied the Torah memorized huge sections of it, and use this to learn how to write and read and so on. If a student at about age 12 had talent and showed ability, they would go on to Beit Midrash, the place of, you might say, study, the house of study, where they would go in deeper. And from there, out of Beit Midrash, rabbis would perhaps select those who would become their disciples and therefore follow their rabbi and become like their rabbi and teach like their rabbi. So it's for Sabbath services, it's for Bible study, it's a school. And on top of that, it was a civic building. It's the civic center. Normally the, sab uh, normally the synagogue was right in the center of town, normally the largest building. And in the case of, if you saw that drawing with the synagogue in Capernaum, it was two stories tall. But here you had gatherings of various people uh, in a village or a town for various meetings. Uh, if there was an important civic meeting, city meeting, or village meeting, th this is where it would happen. So with this in mind, with this small lesson in archaeology, let's return to Modin. Let's return to where the Maccabean revolt actually started. And we will recall in the previous video that we were looking at events that were recorded in the first book of Maccabees in chapter 2. And we read about how the revolt actually began. We're going to be taking a look at that again. So let's go back and let's again reconnect to Mattathias, the father of Judas the Maccabee, the hero of the Maccabean revolt. Mattathias is a priest. He's of the tribe of Levi, and because of the persecution under Antiochus IV Epiphanes, I mean, it was awful. We'll be seeing that as we continue to go through these videos. Basically, Mattathias the priest just couldn't take it anymore. So come, let's go. Let's go back to Modin.
So we come to that picture that I showed before. This is possibly, perhaps, what the village of Modin actually looked like. We're looking at the ruins of the synagogue in Modin, and this was dated to the time of the Maccabees. And as we take a look at uh, another view of the interior, this is cleaned up a little bit. This is what I saw when I visited there. One of the things that we realize from just our little archaeological lesson that we had is if there is an important meeting in a village, if there's an important meeting in a city, where are they going to have that important meeting in terms of the Jewish culture? Right here. So it could very well be, and we'll see this as we're reading in 1 Maccabees chapter 2, that indeed the beginning of the revolt of the Maccabees, which is key to the understanding the Feast of Hanukkah, the Jewish Feast of Hanukkah, could have actually started right here, maybe on these various courts. Uh, it's exciting to me to think that I walked on these courts and Judah the Maccabee, Judas the Maccabee, uh, he's one of my heroes, uh, actually walked here. His dad was here and his brothers. Uh, it, it's really awesome. But anyway, Mathathias is the one who started the revolt by killing a Jewish man from his town who was going to take Mathathias's place to actually offer a sacrifice to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, basically honoring the Greek pagan king as God. So let's take a look afterwards from the King James Version, if you would, of the Apocrypha in 1 Maccabees chapter 2. In the meanwhile, the king's officers such as compel the people to revolt, came into the city, Modin, to make them sacrifice. And when many of Israel came unto them, Mathathias also, his sons, his sons came together. Now that's interesting because you get the implication that the whole town is coming, and Mathathias and his sons, and Mathathias is a key person, as you're going to see, in this town. So it's likely, though we don't know, that this happened in the synagogue. Then answered the king's officers and said to Mathathias, On this wise, thou art a ruler and an honorable and great man in the city, and strengthened with sons and brethren. Now therefore come, thou first, and fulfill the king's commandment, like as all the heathen have done, yea, and the men of Judah also and such as remain Jerusalem. So he, he's saying if they can turn Mathathias, if they can have Mathathias turn away from the priesthood and actually honor Antiochus IV Epiphanes to be God, they could turn the whole town. So shalt thou and thy house be in the number of the king's friends, and thou and thy children shall be honored with silver and gold and many rewards. Then Mathathias answered and spake with a loud voice, Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him, and fall away every one from the religion of their fathers, and give consent to his commandments, yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers. Now let me just stop here quick. There's an awful lot of stuff that's been happening in Israel. Mathathias knows it we're going to be seeing that thousands of Jewish people were martyred 
because they circumcised their children. They had the Torah scroll. They went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They were basically following the rules of their religion. Antiochus IV Epiphanes said it's against the law to do this. And if you do practice Judaism, circumcise your son, eat kosher, go to the, go to the synagogue, you will die. And so Matthias is saying, yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers? God forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. Actually, when you take a look at the Hebrew, because he is speaking Hebrew, God forbid that we should forsake the Torah and the ordinances. We will not hearken to the king's words to go from our religion, either on the right hand or the left. Now, when he had left speaking these words, there came one of the Jews in the sight of all, to sacrifice on the altar, which was at Modin, according to the king's commandment. So it's like somebody from, I mean, the implication in the words is, somebody from town, okay, said, I'll do it. Which thing, when Mattathias saw, he was inflamed with zeal, and his reins trembled. Neither could he forbear to show his anger according to judgment. Wherefore he ran, and slew him upon the altar. Also the king's commissioner, who compelled men to sacrifice, he killed at that time, and the altar he pulled down. Thus dealt he zealously for the Torah of God, not the law, okay, it's going to be the Torah, that's what it says in Hebrew. Thus dealt he zealously for the Torah of God, like as Phineas did unto Zambri and the son of Salom. And Mathathias cried throughout the city with a loud voice, saying, Whoever is zealous for the law and maintaineth the covenant, let him follow me. So he and his sons, and this is the important part, fled into the mountains and left all they ever they had in the city. They fled into the mountains. This is key. This is the first book of Maccabees, starting in chapter 2. And this book was available in Jesus' day. It had been written in the first century, recalling this history. The disciples knew this. So let us return to the Mount of Olives. We don't know exactly where Jesus was teaching the disciples that day when we read Matthew 24 and 25. But definitely he's with his disciples. They're at the Mount of Olives. They're overlooking the city, overlooking the temple. And in Matthew 24, we start reading, and he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, teach us when all these things will happen and what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all the things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. It's interesting because this is what was going on. In Israel, when Mattathias revolted, he was sick 
of how many of his fellow countrymen were martyred and killed because of their love of following God. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. This is exactly what happened in the time of the Maccabees. Most of the Jewish population, especially young men, turned from their faith, turned from the faith of their fathers. And they actually, some of them, because they were athletes, actually went to hospitals outside of Israel to reverse circumcision so that they could participate in the pagan games in the circus and the arena that they actually built in Jerusalem. Because those games of wrestling, discus throwing, running, were all done in the nude. And so therefore, it was quite clear whether you were a Jew or not. And so they actually reversed circumcision, the sign of the, the, sign of the covenant. Many false prophets will arise who will mislead many. Because lawlessness is in, increased, or you might say Torahlessness, nobody has Torah, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, and when you actually study that phrase, abomination of desolation, in Daniel the prophet, and you study it in its historical context, Daniel is actually predicting the future. He's predicting the future of the abomination of desolation that Antiochus IV Epiphanes actually installed in the temple of Jerusalem, turning into a pagan temple. So again, we're looking at this association, and this was our first candle. The association, again, of the time of the Maccabees. And Jesus is using that time to talk about his return. So therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. This is exactly what we read in the first book of Maccabees in chapter 2. The revolt started. Mattathias killed the Greek commissioner, who brought the pagan altar to Modin and the Jewish man from his community. And he said, come, follow me. Come. We're going to rebel. We're going to turn against this. And they fled to the mountains. Let me ask, what did they see? And what did they hear? Once again, Jesus is seemingly tying the events of the revolt of the Maccabees, Hanukkah, if you will, as a picture to help his disciples and us understand his return and the end of the age. So we light candle two today. The center candle, candle one on the far right, candle two next to it. And for us so far, we're seeing some very interesting connections. We lit the center candle because Jesus said he was God on Hanukkah. We lit the first candle because Jesus talks about the fact of his return 
And he said there would be the abomination of desolation, which is exactly what happened in the book of Maccabees. And now flee to the mountains. It's exactly what the Maccabees did. And those people of the town of Modin fled to the mountains, fled to the hills. And so began the revolt. So we'll say a blessing. A blessing as the second candle is lit. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech hachulam. Ashir kidshinu bimitzutav. Veinatan lanu Yeshua. Adonenu, mashienu, hahor, hacholam. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and given us Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, the light of the world. And so this evidence of Jesus using Hanukkah and the history of Hanukkah, the events of Hanukkah, to help his disciples understand his return. It's adding up. We've got a number of candles to light yet and a number of amazing ways that God actually uses Hanukkah to teach them and to teach us. So until the next video, until the next candle of Hanukkah, candle three, I wish you Shalom.